Welcome to the sermon podcast of St. Matthias Anglican Church in Katy, Texas. Today's sermon was delivered by Father Jason Grote. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. It's the story that we know as the rich man and Lazarus. And it's told for us by Jesus in Luke chapter 16, verses 19 and following. The first person Jesus mentions is this rich man. Over time, many have given him the name Dives, and some pronounce it differently, but I found that most tend to pronounce it this way. And it was not because it was his real name, but simply because the word Dives means rich in Latin. The second person Jesus mentions is Lazarus, which really comes from a contraction of the Hebrew Eleazar. And the name is thought to derive from the Hebrew words Loazer, which means without help or helpless one. And that certainly makes sense in the context of Jesus' story this morning. So Jesus here paints a picture, a picture of of a rich man and of a helpless man. And this is something that Jesus did quite often. Jesus never shied away from the fact that there are great disparities in life and in the world. There are rich and poor, slave and free, healthy and unhealthy, barren and plentiful. There are weak and strong, meek and haughty. There are old that live long and young that die prematurely. There are righteous that suffer and unrighteous which prosper. And all these things are a sign of a broken world. A world that is out of harmony within itself. Perpetually reminding us of the damaging effect of sin. And yet at the same time also reminding us of both the need for God's redemption. And also of God's faithfulness to work through such disparities. But it also goes beyond that as well. Such things also remind us how we play a role in God's redemption of those things. And by that I mean as God redeems us, as God works in our situations, we too are to be stewards of God's love by helping to redeem the situations of others. But alas, I get ahead of myself. At this moment. So let's first look at Lazarus and some of the details pertaining to him. In verse 20, Jesus says that Lazarus, the helpless one, was laid at the gate of the rich man and he was full of sores. It is that he was so helpless that others had to carry him and put him at the gate. Now, can I ask the question, who put him there? Who carried this Lazarus to lay him at the gate of the rich man? We're not told. But most likely those who carried him were other needy individuals. Other nobodies by their standards. Perhaps it was loved ones of Lazarus, but most likely not. What we do know is that because of his sores, excuse me, of his sores, no one would hear this story And think that a man of good standing would dare touch him. No one of status would help him in that way for fear of catching his disease. 
And there would also be the fear of defiling themselves, especially if they were going to this rich man's uh, place for a big feast. And I bring this up because while we may think it's an insignificant detail and something Jesus didn't just feel like fleshing out in his story, in a minute we're going to see Jesus twist this story around. And I want you to remember this detail to see how great Jesus is at telling a story and in feeling the impact of his details. Another detail we're told is that by virtue of his open sores and by the fact that the dogs came and licked those sores, it's implied that Lazarus was virtually naked. And this is both a sign of complete shame, but also a part of Jesus painting the picture of Lazarus as opposed to the rich man, as we'll see. And lastly, in verse 21, the other detail provided for us says that as he lay there, Lazarus desired to be fed with the scraps which fell from the rich man's table. Now, if you didn't know, the custom developed by ancient Greece was to use bread or dough as a napkin. As your fingers got stuff on them, you would wipe them with these bits of bread and then you would throw it to the floor where the dogs would come and eat it up, or it was swept away. And that imagery certainly gives new meaning to the Canaanite woman who said that Jesus, even the dogs, eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. It's not the crumbs which happen to to break off by accident and fall, but the very napkin-like bread meant to be disposed. And it's presumably these portions of finger-dirtied, spittle-filled, scraps of dough that Lazarus was more than willing to eat. I mean, we would liken it to a homeless man digging through our trash and pulling out the rest of the peanut butter and jelly sandwich that our children didn't finish and they threw in the trash can. It was pretty gross. And this is all while Jesus says in verse 19 that the rich man fared sumptuously every day. And the verb tense in Greek says that this was a continuous, ongoing action in that the man had a feast every single day. Basically, that he was want for nothing and he lived a life of extravagance. So think of the imagery here. As Lazarus is carried by men, laid down at the gate seeking just a tad bit of life's sustenance, The rich man has servants coming and catering to his every whim at this feast. As Lazarus lay naked with the dogs licking his sores, the rich man is clothed in fine purple garb. And of course we know that purple garb is a sign of royalty and richness because purple was the most expensive dye. And as Lazarus sought the disposal scraps of dirty bread, the rich man ate daily to his heart's content. That's the story so far. But now Jesus is going to flip the story on its head. And starting in verse 22, he turns it upside down. These two men die, says Jesus. And here Jesus repaints the same picture as the first part. Only this time the canvas reveals a different perspective. Remember earlier how I asked who carried Lazarus. It certainly was not men of status. But in this depiction of life after death, something significant is revealed. 
Verse 22 reads this way. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by whom? If you have your Bibles open, you know. The beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The helpless one is not carried by men of low estate and laid at the gate of the rich man. No, Lazarus is literally carried by angels, by the angels of God himself, and they bring him into the comfort of Abraham's bosom. What a contrast. I mean, sometimes I'm amazed at those little but wonderful details and nuances that our Savior puts into his stories. I mean, there's like short little brush strokes that complement and enhance and sometimes complete the overall portrait. Now, we're told in verses 22 and 23 that the rich man also dies and is buried. And in hell he is in torment. Furthermore, verse 26 tells us that there's this great gulf between where he is and where Lazarus is. In the earthly part of the story, Lazarus was able to be laid at the very gate of the rich man such that he could at least eat those scraps. But notice here that the rich man cannot get over to Lazarus, nor can Lazarus provide even a drop of water to the rich man. Now, I must stress, as I've done in the past, that it is not our Savior's intent to put forth a teaching about the resurrection, or life eternal, per se, or whether there's some sort of purgatory that exists or not. Nor is it his point to say that whatever you have in this life will automatically be the opposite state after death. That's not his point with telling this parable. Yet while I say this, there is both a comfort and a warning at work here. A comfort and a warning with an eternal perspective. From the perspective of Lazarus, we certainly learn of eternal comfort. I mean, this is certainly in line with what the rest of what the scriptures teach us. In the words of St. Paul from Romans chapter 8, we might say that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. We might, in the teachings of the book of Revelation, say that all tears will be wiped away and all sorrows removed and all hunger filled. Or we might, in the words of our Savior in the Beatitudes, say that those who mourn will be comforted. The brokenness which we experience now certainly is not eternal brokenness. But yet, while there is the comfort of Lazarus, there is also the perspective and warning when considering the rich man. And truthfully, this is Jesus' point in all of this. In the context of Luke's gospel, in chapter 16, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. And he's talking about proper stewardship. Not just of money or manna, but of God's goodness and love. In the case of Dives, it's not that he was actively sinning against Lazarus. It's not that Dives was some horrible human being. He simply enjoyed life and all the richness of the present, so much so that he was blinded to the principles of godly stewardship and responsibility and love that went with it. Dives sinned by what we call acts of omission, of not doing that which we ought to do. Commissions are active sins, doing that which we ought not to do. And omissions are sins by not doing that which we ought to do. So Dives enjoyed the great plenteousness of this life's riches, and there's nothing wrong with that, but yet disregarded the lowest state 
of the one who laid at his gate. It was a failure to do as God said through Isaiah, that you share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house, that when you see the naked, you cover him. Shades of what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25. And imagine being the Pharisees listening to this. For Dives is the Pharisee. It was the Pharisees who, having been given the feast of God's goodness and God's richness, squandered it away in selfish ambition without regard for the needy lying at their own gates. The Pharisees were those who condemned Christ for eating with sinners. The Pharisees are those who attacked Christ for healing men. The Pharisees are those who Christ portrayed as standing at the temple and praising God for their own righteousness and thanking God that they weren't like those tax collectors who cried out in mercy. The Pharisees proclaimed to be of the law but yet they didn't follow the witness and the teaching and the spirit of it. Even so much as to how they could defraud their neighbor. How they could twist the law to commit adultery. Of how they could skirt around the fifth commandment in dishonoring their parents and so on. And they did all this while trying to maintain a face of holy righteousness before God and people. This is why Jesus says in the end, if they won't hear Moses and the prophets then they won't believe even though one is raised from the dead. I mean, what a a double entendre that is. For while Jesus is speaking of the rich man's request to speak to his brothers from the dead, Jesus is truly remarking about the unbelief of the Pharisees, whose obstinance would not even believe when Jesus himself is raised from the dead in their own presence. Christ really exposes them in this story. And shows the grave eternal danger of such an approach to life. Oh, how great a danger it is to receive from God and to not give. Oh, how grave a situation it is to one's own soul to be blessed without also being a blessing. One commentator wrote this of Jesus' story this morning. It is to show the danger of living in the neglect of duties. And particularly the danger of considering the gifts of providence, meaning from God, as our own property. And not as a trust from our creator. To be employed in his service and for which we are accountable to him. Christ's words of his story stand as a warning. But not just to the Pharisees. But to all of us. Who have received the richness of God's mercy and love. In your richness, says Christ, be stewards of God's plentiful goodness. Be stewards of God's grace. And friends, this doesn't just mean financially. I mean, it certainly does mean that. But the story is not simply a financial one. It is in showing forgiveness. It is in showing mercy. It is in lifting up and supporting. It is in caring for those who can't care for themselves. It is loving the one who is laid at our gate. In all ways, we are stewards of God's love. Taking of the great love and mercy that God has given to us in abundant measure. And enriching another's life with that same abundance. God's richness towards us in all ways must lead to richness towards God and towards those who lay at our gates.
We must have, as we may call it, a stewarding love. Or to put it as St. John said in our epistle lesson this morning, and the words of Holy Writ with which I will close our time this morning. Beloved, if God so loved us, let us also love one another. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. We pray that God's Spirit has spoken to you and blessed you today through this sermon. If you would like to learn more about St. Matthias Anglican Church, you can visit us on the web at www.stmkaty.org.